Hello everyone, welcome back to 8th Position. As always, I am Lawson Gardner. I'm joined here with my co-host, Darian Baldwin. Hey everyone, hope you're having a great day, well, morning or night, whatever time you're listening to this. This is more of a relaxed interview today. We kind of, it's it's pretty funny actually. It's a funny, relaxed interview, nothing overly serious or anything like that. So if you're just looking for something to listen to, just to enjoy and have a good time, this is this is the interview for you. Uh, yeah, so I'll go ahead and apologize in advance real quick. There was a minor audio problem with our microphone a few minutes into the interview. Um, it's, it just lasts for a few seconds, but there's nothing I do to fix it. So sorry about that. Um, these things happen. My apologies. All the time. It's always Lawson's fault. No yep. one else's. Sorry, guys. It's not the technology itself. It's it. just Lawson. Mm-hmm. He touches it and it breaks. I you're not far off honestly <laughs> but today in today's interview we we talk about our usual things like getting started with music how they well how they switch to bass trombone and then we also talk about since this is a jazz commercial player we talk about moving to new york and freelancing around and also how they started their band which we will talk extensively about don't worry we always ask about their hobbies outside of music and this one's pretty funny this is a great response to that one so stick around for that yeah, like Darian said, she's a successful freelance commercial musician in New York City. She's played on uh, several Broadway shows like West Side Story, King Kong, Jekyll and Hyde, and then also plays at Radio City. Uh, she's a featured ITF performing artist, professor at Montclair State University, and band leader for the jazz trombone quartet Bonegasm. Please welcome Jennifer Wharton. Then I just shoved some food in my face, and here we are. Radio City. That was a very casual, <laughs> very casual way of saying that. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So yeah. let's get started with your early life. Um, I want to know how you got started with music and with trombone. Um, why did you want to pursue this career path that you've Bass pursued? Bass trombone. Bass trombone. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's actually, um, I wanted to play saxophone first. I was in junior high and my sister was two years older than me and she played saxophone she got really mad because i was copying her so i chose trombone was my second choice (laughs) and i had braces so it was like you know oh yikes when i got those off it was like relearning how to play trombone again but um i they handed me a bass trombone it was just a single trigger but they handed handed one to me in seventh grade so it was my second year of playing oh wow and i definitely did not know much about how to use the trigger um but i enjoyed it i liked playing the low notes um yeah so i played that in in the in the big band in junior high and then i think i played first in concert band and then i quit i quit playing uh to be a cheerleader in high school as most bass remote players do right (laughs) (laughs) yeah Yeah, so um, I was a cheerleader for three years, and then I decided I missed music so much uh, that I started playing again. I played tenor to start off with, and um, I really kind of had to fight my parents on that because they didn't want to invest any of their money in it because they thought I'd just give it up. Mm -hmm. So uh, they rented me a, a horn, and then I think that my senior year, 
I played bass trombone and tuba. Like the guy just said, you're going to play tuba as well. And he handed me a fingering chart and a tuba. And that's, yeah. So, um, it was pretty, pretty, uh, it was all downhill after that (laughs) because (laughs) I just really loved it. And once, uh, somebody, some adult in my life, which ended up being my band director, once he believed in me, um, I, I wasn't not as afraid to sort of choose that path. Interesting. So, I mean, what, what school did you go to for your undergrad? I, um, I'm one of the very few people, the professional musicians that I know that went to junior college first. So uh, we were kind of poor and my parents didn't really have money to send me away to a four year school. So, Hmm. um, I went to the junior college in my hometown, which happened to have an amazing music program. And I, at this point I was not thinking I'd be a music major. I was kind of like sort of, you know, toying with the idea. And I got Mm -hmm. there and I just, the band director, the, the guy that ran the program, he just was like, you're going to do this ensemble and this ensemble, and you're going to play in here, and you're going to play tuba here and bass drum on there. And I was like, sure, why not? I have nothing else to do, <laughs> so why not? So it took me three years to get out of that program, which was only a two-year program, because I was taking so many music classes. I had to take summer school just to get my general ed out of the way. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> Yeah, because <laughs> I was literally taking 25 credits a semester, which is like double full time. Oh, my God. And I know it was insane. But those were all music classes. I might have had one or two regular classes. So I had to really work hard to get those in. Um, <laughs> but I loved school and and um, I transferred to New England Conservatory as a junior, which is hard to do. But I had some friends that had done it before me, so I knew all the tricks that the schools like to pull on you if you're a transfer student <laughs> to try and get more money out of you. Gotcha. So, uh, yeah, and then I, I graduated from there probably before you were both born. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I freelanced for a bit, and then I tried to go to uh, grad school at Manhattan School of Music for orchestral performance. And I had a really bad experience, so I never finished until um, and I, I swore off school until last year. I returned to school to get my master's in jazz. So I'm, I'm going to be done in May. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Oh, Go sorry. ahead. Uh, your undergrad, that was uh, classical then, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, awesome. oh, I mean, I always played in big bands, but um, okay. but it was I, I really didn't see people playing jazz on bass trombone i just didn't see it so i didn't Mm -hmm. think that was for me so i never pursued like even trying uh when people would ask me to solo i it it was really hard to get me to solo in fact it still is if it's if it's not something i'm prepared for it's like mentally i I have a block about it yeah (laughs) so yeah i mean we you mentioned this to me when we when we met recently about your your grad school experience and we don't have to get too into the nitty-gritty if it's too personal but i mean i was curious like what what made it the bad experience and then also kind of two-prong question is like um what would you suggest to students that are trying to pick a school to avoid an experience like that well and i think i think i explained to you i was like you know you're your private teacher can make or break your school experience. So at least have one lesson before you go and commit. Um, and in fact, I did do that with my grad school experience and I still sort of got bit in the ass, pardon my French, <laughs> 
But, um, you know, if I had asked around a little bit, I would have, if I had done a little more homework, I would have known what I was getting into. So I am very, um, uh, honest with people about my experience and I don't, I don't really like to name names unless, you know, I, I sort of do it off the record, but, um, he had a, a known reputation of being a giant a-hole and a uh, raging alcoholic. So... <laughs> Uh, if I had known that going into it, I probably wouldn't have had, I would have been prepared for, for all the stuff that happened, but I was totally unprepared. So, um, my, my advice to people trying to choose schools out of, out of high school is really just try and get to know the, um, teacher, you know, what they do, mm -hmm. um, who they are as a teacher, kind of talk to their students, um, get their philosophy on like, if, if they have a problem with you studying with other people, some, some teachers do. Um, I always tell all my students to go study with everybody because you want to have as many tools in your toolbox. But that's really the most important thing. I'm also a big believer in try not to spend too much money. Uh, it's it's really hard to start out life being tens of thousand dollars in debt. You know, it's, that's a, it's a lot of uh, baggage to carry around. I'm still paying my my one year at Manhattan school off and I had half tuition scholarship. <laughs> Yikes. So, and, and it was half the price of what it is now. So, you know, oh. yeah. It's okay, Lawson. You're okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Darian knows that's kind of my dream school right now. So that's, <laughs> but I will say, uh, you know, going to school in New York is, and going to school for music in general, you know, I think there's a level of competition that you may or may not see in other areas of, of like other majors, you know, um, there can be a good community. You can kind of feel that when you go, um, if you talk to some of the students, um, you can kind of feel if there's a community or not. Um, and you'll find your people. I'm, I'm a big believer in that you, you will always find your people in New York. There's, there's people that are into everything, <laughs> you know, um, uh, it's, it's such an amazing place to be. It can be overwhelming as a young person. It was overwhelming for me when I moved here at 25. So, you know, it's just make sure you don't do anything dumb. <laughs> <laughs> it's so easy to be dumb when you're in New York. <laughs> So, I mean, I assume you started uh, freelancing right after you left MSM, correct? Oh, I was freelancing. Gosh, I started freelancing when I was in junior college. I mean, obviously, smaller gigs, um, <laughs> very, very underpaid gigs. And um, I mean, even even when I was in school at NEC, I was freelancing doing orchestras around Boston. And when I came back home after NEC, I started really trying to, you know, get into the scene here. And in fact, right when I was leaving to go to MSM, I was like this close to being called for my very first Broadway show, which I didn't know. I found out years later. Um, he didn't oh. call me, obviously, because I was going away to school. And mm. then um, after that one year at MSM, which I also freelanced then, I was doing orchestras outside of school. And I was even mm -hmm. working at the New York Philharmonic in the public public relations department, which was kind of cool. I got to go to all hmm, these uh, rehearsals. Cool. Yeah, it was really, it was a, it was oh, a fun Oh, that's thing. awesome. Yeah, look look into that. Look into like being an intern for 
some of these orchestras around town because it'll get you into rehearsals and Keep stuff. Keep that in mind. Yeah. <laughs> That's um, awesome. But uh, yeah, so when I went back home that summer, I was hired for my very first um, Broadway show, which was Wicked before it went to Broadway. Mm. Oh, and wow. So yeah, I, I, I played Wicked before the Broadway guys. Um, and that you was- started Wicked. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they-, they a lot of Broadway shows will take their shows out of town to try them out and work out the kinks and then bring them to Broadway. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, and it was amazing. And that was kind of, that experience was what made me decide to never pay for school again. So that's why I didn't go back to finish my master's. I was like, if I can, if I can do this for a living, I am not paying to play anymore. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, how did you start to, like, network and get on your feet? I, I mean, you know, just as a young person getting asked to do any kind of rehearsal band, I would always just say yes. I mean, that's, we all learn this as musicians at some point. The best thing you can do is to say yes to everything. And it's still, it's kind of a bad habit now that I'm older because I, um, I'm not as, I'm not as young as I used to be. So the lack of sleep really gets to me and it makes me like dumb. But um, also I'm married and I have two dogs and, you know, it's it's kind of I want to also, you know, have good self-care at some point. Mm -hmm. Musicians tend to run themselves into the ground and we think that that is the sign of being a good musician. But I think I think our lives should be bigger than just music. You know, we have to have, Mm -hmm. yes, music makes us happy and is sort of our purpose in life. But if you don't have all the other sort of elements of a good life, like happiness at home, what in whatever form that is, and, you know, whether you want kids or dogs or gerbils, I don't know, you know, (laughs) you have to have stuff outside of music to make your music more interesting. I feel like. Interesting. So, I mean, during your time in New York, um, do you have any funny or weird stories from gig experiences? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and we don't mind to talk all night about that stuff, honestly. <laughs> no, we love those stories. We've had some really funny ones, so. <laughs> I, um, well, the weirdest gig that I've gotten, I got paid to play a Benefit once, and they wanted me to dress like a sailor and play one note on tuba. And I got paid $500 to do this. And it was every time this light would shine on me, I had to play three long notes. And it was just like, I don't know, it was a B flat or something. And um, (laughs) it was to signal that the next course in the meal was happening. Or it was between acts. I can't remember what the, it was so weird. It was so weird. (laughs) And it sparked off this great conversation on Facebook about, other musicians weirdest gigs and i found out that the great pianist jim mcneely he actually played Mm -hmm. the birthday for a dog he played the birthday party for a dog (laughs) um john clayton had a good one too i can't remember yeah yeah well you know people in new york if they don't have kids they're spending all their money on their animals (laughs) (laughs) dogs yeah 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 i cannot imagine having enough money to hire jim mcneely as a pianist for my well, dog's birthday. <laughs> at the time, I think he was just like starting to freelance. So this was, you know, decades oh, ago. Oh, okay, 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 gotcha. Yeah, it wasn't. <laughs> can you imagine? I'm going to call Jim up and ask him to play my dog's birthday. <laughs> 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 uh, 
I heard he's really good at, at birthday dog songs. Yeah, and I asked him what tunes he played. He was like, how much is that doggy in the window? You're nothing but a hound dog. <laughs> um, other weird gigs. Um, I played in 18 degree weather outside on the Today Show. Um, 18 degrees. Yeah, oh, no. that was cold. No, but it was it was pretty cold. Uh, yeah, um, I got to do for Red Nose Day, which was something I think is it Walgreens or something does Red Nose Day. It's it's like a charity. Yeah, they did. They pretended to do Game of Thrones, the musical. And <laughs> um, I was in this whole shot with uh, who's the guy, the the uh, little person that plays um I can't I never watched Game of Thrones anyway he um yeah he was I was in the in part of the scene with him uh pretending to play backup horns for him singing a rock tune which is it was kind of fun um, <gasps> oh Peter Dinklage yes, yes thank you <laughs> Peter Dinklage. his his brother is a great violinist and I never I, I always forget Peter's name wait do you know his brother his brother's a violinist in New York. Oh, that's awesome. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. That's so yeah. cool. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of weird. <laughs> <laughs> so when and why did you get started with uh, jazz playing on a serious level? I, so I, I told you I always played in big bands and that's kind of been my happy place forever. So when I went to like really, really focus on orchestral playing, I still played in big bands and, uh, it was kind of chicken soup for the soul, you know? Mm. And I would never say no to playing in a big band. Cause it was just, you know, it's more playing. You don't have to count rests less. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, and I just do so much of it. There's so many big bands in New York. So I, I've always been in the jazz world, but never really participating as an improviser. And about, let's see, 2016, uh, my husband, John Fetchock, and um, and I are, we both play the same company's horns, XO Brass, and they mm -hmm. wanted to showcase the horns. So they put together four trombones, three tenors and me, um, John, John Allred, and Paul McKee with rhythm section. Holy and this was crap. For, yeah, it's, it's, there's there's a video, I think there might be part of a video up on uh, on YouTube of us playing. And, um, wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So the 2016 Gen Conference in Louisville, and um, we John wrote an arrange an arrangement or two, where it sort of featured me in a way that I was comfortable with. I wasn't improvising at the time, and I said, "This is what I want my band to be." And it sort of went along with a conversation I had with Ingrid Jensen because I was sort of having a a crisis about my career and she said you really need to find something of your own and so I decided I was just going to do it so I started asking people to write music for trombone quartet with rhythm section and I wasn't paying much at the time but I was just like yo can you do this at, at worst they'd say no and everybody said yes all right <laughs> and that started yeah yeah that started uh everything rolling and we had our first gig in 2017 i knew a guy that booked a club in harlem so i asked him if we could have a date and we you know rehearsed again and uh i put it so it's my husband and alan ferber who's from the same area of california as i am 
and Nate Malin, and I've known him so long, I just don't even remember how we met. So I figured I'd ask him. He's one of, you know, my oldest trombone friends in New York. Mm-hmm. And uh, then I put together the rhythm section with with guys I know and play with, and we off and running. Awesome. Yeah. And at the time, I think I'd only been improvising for maybe a couple months. So I, I really limited it, and it was more modal stuff. And um, I mean, still, you know, I'm not super comfortable on on a lot of different things and there's a like like technically uh i have no interest in playing like fast (laughs) (laughs) i'm sure that'll change as i get more and more into it but since then i actually bass trombones we can't do that (laughs) but you know it's what john has said to me and has made me feel a lot better just as i'm growing as a player um, because, you know, to be like a professional musician and then go kind of back to square one with something and have to learn mm-hmm. something from, it really is an ego, like, uh, like a kick in my ego. I don't know. Uh, you know, it, it really mm-hmm. just makes me feel small and horrible and it's really hard to learn something late in life. So if you're waiting to do something, I highly suggest doing it now because it's not going to be okay. easier to do later. Um, but yeah, so he said to me though, that throughout this entire process, if you can play something beautiful, then it's still valid. And I really try to remember that. And I try to tell my students that too, because I wish I had thought about that years ago when I was too afraid to improvise, you know, but I'm always afraid of offending people with my lack of ability. You know, I don't want them to hear Mm -hmm. me chow my way through like a blues, (laughs) but (laughs) Most people don't care. They just, you know, yeah, you get up, you blow, and then it's over. And I realized when I made my album, a lot of these things I'm worried about, it's maybe 30 seconds of an eight-minute tune, you know? Is someone going to judge mm-hmm. me, you know, when collectively I, I might solo for four minutes of the entire album, a 75-minute album? Are they going to judge me on that? Well, that's pretty dumb. So, <laughs> you know, um, and... That's what I, that's, that's kind of how I push myself through the, the difficult moments. I mean, yeah, that, that for anyone listening that doesn't know, that group is called Bonegasm, which is the best name for a group that I've ever heard <laughs> in my entire life. I get a lot uh, of, well, I don't get a lot, but I get a little bit of uh, pushback from mostly adults that say, oh, I can't show this to my kids or I can't show this to my students. And I'm like, <laughs> okay. <Karen's>. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just kind of like, <laughs> I guess this isn't for them then. I don't know. I mean, as a trauma player. Do you think they actually listened or they just heard the name no, and they're like, no, they no just heard that the name. can't be heard. Yeah. And, <laughs> And the, um, you know, as, as trombone players, you know, you've heard all the jokes since you picked up the instrument. So oh, yeah. it's not, it's not trombone players that have a problem with it. It's like the adults in the room. So it's fine. Whatever. I made my bed. I'm going to lie in it. <laughs> <laughs> and you've got Sorry. two albums now, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I, um, so I went about like after the first gig, I, I knew we were going to record. I was just like this has to be put, put down, mm-hmm. you know, um, into record form. So I self-funded, I saved a bunch of money. Actually, we did it pretty cheaply. <laughs> so it was about eight grand for the first album and one day of recording, it was 10 hours, which that's pretty, yeah. pretty hard. Wow. Yeah, yeah. No kidding. 
Yeah. Um, and because I had, this was a month or two after I had had shoulder surgery. So I couldn't really practice how I normally would. So I did all my solos later. Okay. Um, just to save time. I didn't want them to sit there and sort of wait for me to get a good solo. Mm -hmm. I did some scratch tracks there, but my arm was like moving slowly for a while after I had surgery. (laughs) So, you know, I didn't want to chance it. Um, and then, you know, we mixed it, mastered it, everything. And I tried to get it to a couple labels and one, one said they wanted it. And that was Sunnyside records. And that was, Mm. um, the album came out, first one came out in 2019 and we just did, we just released the second one this year. We recorded Mm -hmm. that in the middle of the pandemic. Um, I had, it was before the vaccine too. So, um, I had gotten a grant from the New York City Women's Fund. It's part of a larger group called the New York Foundation for the Arts. Mm. And it covered everything. It covered the commissions and most of the recording and paying the guys. And then I had to cover some sort of post-production stuff and uh, marketing and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But uh, the same label picked it up and, and it's been doing well. I think it sold a lot better than the first one. Hmm. That's awesome. Yeah. And you've got, you said you have a new single coming out pretty soon? Yeah. um, We recorded a Christmas tune. (laughs) Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I'm going to try my hand at releasing it on my shop, um, which I've never done. But I figured, you know, since the pandemic happened and everyone's sort of been pivoting, I thought I'd give it a go. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't know how long labels are going to be picking up jazz artists. And to be honest, there's good and bad things about being on a label um, for a small time artist like me. Mm-hmm. Um, the bad thing is you don't make as much money because you know, their, their cut is a lot bigger. Right. Um, yeah. They basically don't pay for, they pay for um, sort of the creation of the, of the artwork and stuff. And sometimes I think they might even do photos, uh, but I already paid for my photos. So, um, and then they did take care of the distribution, which that's kind of the thing I didn't want to do. <laughs> um, Fair enough. and they do a bit of, a bit of like radio and, and, um, print, uh, publicity, but I, I, yeah, I, I'm not sure how much I ever want to release my own album, but I thought I'd try it with just a single and, and see what we do, you know? And, okay. and, uh, yeah, it'll be fun. It'll be a learning experience. Yeah. Awesome. I want to talk about Broadway, if that's allowed. Um, <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> you've, you've gotten so much experience playing on Broadway. Um, I mean, I don't really have anything specific to ask about it, but I mean, what is it? How did you get your first Broadway gig? I mean, what has it been like playing on Broadway for so long? All this, all the things. Yeah. Um, so I, I mentioned Wicked. I got that gig. I, because I met a guy on a Chinese funeral in San Francisco, um, oh. which Chinese funerals uh, oh. out there, th- they would hire 10 piece. Bro- yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, out out in San Francisco, they I think they happen in New York, too, but I've just never done one. Mm-hmm. Um, but out there, they would hire a 10 piece brass band to march in front of the car in the funeral possession- procession that had the picture in it of the um, deceased person and uh we would play christian hymns 
and um, sometimes there were people that are paid to cry, like wail at the yeah. It's it's kind of a whole it's a whole production, and I think it started from like British dignitaries in Hong Kong would die, so the brass bands would play for them. That's what what my theory is about how it all started. But yeah, they do a ton I'm of them. Look these up. Yeah, it's kind of wild. Uh, the the one I did the most of was Green Street Mortuary in San Francisco. And if you look up Green Street Mortuary Band, that's uh they have a lot of stuff on the internet. Okay. Um, but yeah, so I met the contractor for the show, uh, for the shows in San Francisco doing one of those. So that just goes to show you, like, never that was a fifty dollar gig that basically started my Broadway career. So never say no to any gig. <laughs> You know, um, mm-hmm. and to this day, I do, I do, I try to say yes to everything, especially if it's with new people, because I do like one, I'm a people person. You can tell I talk a lot, but, um, I enjoy meeting people, you know, that I haven't played with. In fact, today, the big band rehearsal I did, I, I only knew two or three people at this rehearsal and the rest of them were, were quite a bit younger than me. So it was nice to hear all these people that could play that were younger professionals and just kind of, you know, starting off or in the early years of their professional mm-hmm. career. It's really nice. And and hopefully it means that my career has more longevity. The, the more people I know, the younger people I know, it's sort of I can see how some of my colleagues get uh, like put in a box like, oh, they only do this. They only do that. And I don't want to be known that way. So I do try to to just say yes to everything. But um, when I moved to New York, it was right after I played a year of Lion King in San Francisco. They on the tour that the tour came through, sat down for a year. I played it, and I said, "I want to." My boyfriend at the time kept his apartment in New York, um, and we decided to move back. And within three months, I started subbing on Lion King in New York. And that was based solely based on the recommendations from the people I had met on the tour. Oh. So, yeah, it was hugely helpful for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and probably pissed some people off, if I could be honest, now that I'm <laughs> older and wiser. But, yeah, because it's kind of like if you do well on one of those things and you get some angel that talks nice to you uh, talks nice about you to the right people mm-hmm. you can court, sort of snake your way in there and i didn't know what i was doing i just was like being nice to everybody and and right. trying to you know play my instrument so but now i i can see when when it happens to other people i can see how they react so i'm sure i piss people off <laughs> but um you know the the thing the thing is is like no matter if uh, a lot of times I worry that, especially in my younger career, I would worry that I was only being hired because I was like checking off the female box. Like, oh, we're not all male. Here's one chick kind of a thing. Mm. Um, but no matter why you get hired, if you continue to be hired, then you deserve to be there. That's kind of my thing. So that's that's a good reminder when you see people working that you're like, how did they get that gig or whatever? Or why are they doing that? You know, well, if they continue to do that, it's probably because they're good enough to do it. So it's, it's a, it's a good, good lesson, you know, in mm-hmm. it, everybody's a friend of somebody, everyone's going to get hired for some reason, whether it's they're checking off a box. Sometimes, unfortunately it still happens or uh, it's, it's, you know, they know, 
they know the conductor, they've been friends since they, you know, college or whatever. It's, it doesn't matter. It matters how you play. And if you don't play well, you won't be hired again. Mm-hmm. So that's basically Broadway in a nutshell. <laughs> <laughs> and Broadway is, uh, they're back, right? Like you guys are performing some shows. Again? I was some shows. Yeah, I was on West Side Story when the pandemic shut uh, shut everything down, and they decided not to reopen, which sucks. But no. you know, there's nothing I can do. It's above above my pay grade. So, mm-hmm. um, I'm doing Radio City right now, which is a gig. It's one of the few things I do where I have to audition for. Mm-hmm. Um, hmm. And this is the fifth time I've done it, which is pretty cool. Yeah, and it's cool. Under. Yeah, it's it's fun. It's ninety minutes of the horn being on your face the entire time. Oh, so yeah, it's it's a uh, lot. It's a lot of playing. Yeah. Um. <laughs> uh, but it's really fun, and it can be great money. This year, it's less so because they've canceled all the optional shows and um, some scheduled shows. So I think they're everyone's sort of trying to figure out how to be after COVID. Um, the crowds have been good, so I think it's just that they're not selling as well in advance as they normally do, and that's scary for them, so they'd rather just not have some mm-hmm. of the shows. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, it's, I don't know when it's going to be back to normal. I don't, it could be next year. It could be a couple of years down the road. It's Soon, soon. It's, yeah, <laughs> I hope so. You keep crossing all, all your digits. <laughs> <laughs> So where are you uh, yeah. teaching right now? I teach at Montclair State University. Okay, gotcha. Oh, Nikki Abisi teaches there as well, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. That's so yeah. cool. I'm doing Radio City with Nikki. Oh, oh that's that that's is awesome. awesome. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we've been friends for a while. She's she's good people. <laughs> that's great. Continue. I'm yeah. sorry. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, yeah, I, I teach the trombone practicum class and the trombone choir, and that's new. I just started doing that last semester because the guy that was doing it moved to Europe. So um, it's been really fun. Uh, we've been in person since since January, so <laughs> uh, we were in person and when a lot of schools were not. But it gave it let me get my first vaccination really early, oh, so nice. I was very <laughs> thankful for that. That's great. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So I, mean, oh, I do have a question. Yeah. When you when you teach, are you like do you teach just everything? Or is it just like you mean, kind of one thing? Like You mean No, I uh what do you mean in terms of like style or like do you um do you like teach orchestral orchestral players and jazz players or do you yeah. just like Oh, that's awesome. Um Well, so there aren't like one of my students is he just wants to play. Right. Mm -hmm. And which is basically, I feel like, I feel like, uh, I want to lead the person wherever they want to go. Most people that come to study with me, they want to be commercial players. Most of them. Right. And, or they, they tend towards orchestral, which is fine. I mean, I've studied, I studied with Doug Yo. I studied with Dave Ridge of the, San Francisco Opera. I studied with John Engelkiss, the San Francisco Symphony. I studied with, uh, I've taken lessons with John Rojack. You know, I, I know that stuff. I don't play that stuff very often, but, um, you know, that's was my foundation. Mm -hmm. And to be quite honest, most bass trombone skills 
are like the same for whatever it is you're doing. You're an operator of the bass Ramon. Most of the time you have to just lay bricks out for other people to do fancy shit on top of, <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, so, but, but I do like, I can, I feel comfortable teaching sort of beginner improvisers um, and, and that, but you know, if they need, need like serious jazz lessons, I will definitely let them or, or direct them towards the appropriate people. Mm. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, what would be, how would you really define um, your teaching philosophy? I, well, I'll tell you a story. I, I keep in touch with my high school band director because he was such a big influence on on my career, mm. honestly. I send him programs from all the shows I've done. I send him anything good that I've done that ends up like in a magazine or whatever. <laughs> and uh, I keep in touch with um, with my, jun- uh, my junior college band director as well. That's awesome. uh, they're just two, I, they're family to me. Mm-hmm. And I asked both of them, like, how did you know I had any potential? Because I was a late bloomer. I was really, you know, I quit playing. So I missed all this stuff and I was constantly playing uh, catch up. And, and one of them said, you know, I treat everybody like they have potential. And I said, what a great philosophy, (laughs) you know? And I, I try to do that. I try to do that. Like, like whether, whether you can barely play a scale or what, you know, you can always get better and all you need to do is love it. That is the best best inspiration you can have is to love it and like the worst part of my playing career which I kind of didn't I haven't mentioned at all but I'll mention it to you now the worst time in my life and my playing career was when I was not inspired to play and I felt like I was just too deep in I couldn't choose to do anything else and it was like 10 years where Mm. I I rarely felt good about playing that's a long time. So mm-hmm. to be on the other side of that now, and I think my band had a lot to do with that, to, to be on the other side of mm-hmm. that and know that if I can relay sort of my, what I've learned from that experience to these younger people, then they'll all be better at whatever it is they do, whether it's trombone or not. But I doubt someone would have said to me when I was in my undergrad, at least before I went to NEC, that I was going to be a professional musician. There's no way. I mean, I might have played, but I don't think anyone would have thought that of me. So I never want to want to discourage it, if especially if the love is there. If the love's not there, go do something else. <laughs> it's way too hard to do, mm-hmm. you know. But it's and and there are some teachers that'll sit there and say, "Well, if you have any doubts, you should quit and or Ugh. you should do something else." And no. I don't I don't believe that. I think it's smart to have doubts. It's smart. I mean, the world is such a crazy place. And especially after the pandemic, nothing is is for certain, even certain secure jobs, you know. Mm -hmm. So um, I I think doubts are is healthy. And, you know, if you ask the right questions, you can be prepared for stuff like, you know, a pandemic or losing a gig, a show closing early, not getting called for something you want to, you can, you can plan for that. It doesn't mean if you have a day job, it doesn't mean that you're not still on your path to becoming a professional musician. So, Mm. yeah, I I guess my philosophy is you have to love it. And then, and then I'm going to treat everybody as if, as if they have potential. Yeah. All right. I said something much more eloquent on my website. 
No, there we could. There's some quotes in there. <laughs> so, I mean, what are what are some of the hobbies and, and activities and stuff you enjoy outside of music, away from the trombone? I'm a serial dog petter. <laughs> I will pet every dog, and I do. <laughs> do you walk around New York um, just like looking for dogs, and you have your hand out? And yes. You're going to pet every dog. Yes. <laughs> I do. I I will show you right now. I'm going to show you on my phone. This is the last picture on my phone. Here's a dog that I saw on the subway. And I just said, can I take a picture? It's a cute dog for everybody listening. I have a problem. Um, And I happen to be married to the finest human on the face of the planet. So I enjoy traveling with him. One of our favorite places is New Orleans. Mm. Um, Yeah. Oh, it's such a good place to get fat in. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. And I'm going in April for like, uh, I think eight days. I cannot wait. I'm going to go, uh, play down there. So I'm very, what's excited. your favorite food from there? Oh, everything, <laughs> everything. And I'm, I'm like really, uh, especially after the pandemic, I got really into cocktails cause it's kind of like cooking, but with liquor. So, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, they, I mean, the, the cocktail is, is well regarded in New Orleans. Some are, you know, famous down there. So I enjoyed doing that. Um, yeah. And it's just, it's, it's a place that seems like at any second things could get weird, you know, <laughs> yes. and I kind of like that. So New York That's is like that. Yeah, like, yeah. That was my experience in New yeah. Orleans. From all the stories I've heard. <laughs> yeah. 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 And you just, I mean, it's, it's kind of like, you have to act like you're in a big city. I mean, New Orleans is obviously it's, it's big, it's got its own dangers, but you have Mm -hmm. to be aware. So just like in New York, if you get drunk somewhere, you gotta, you gotta know how to get home without like getting robbed or (laughs) whatever, you know, Mm -hmm. you have to be, you have to keep your wits about you. So it's, it's the same. I feel like. But yeah, other than that, I used to do triathlons. I used to, I've done oh. two Ironmans um, and I've done like nine and a half Ironmans. I've done, I've only done one standalone marathon, a um, couple half marathons, tons of other races. Wow. Um, and then my body decided it was too old and now it doesn't <laughs> want to work anymore. <laughs> I'm not built well. <laughs> <laughs> it's still... my my podiatrist and my chiropractor they all tell me that i'm not bill well <laughs> oh man it still shocks me that people yeah. choose to do triathlons <laughs> yeah i don't no, get I'll it never understand that. the running <laughs> they were really popular a while ago and i did i my best time in an ironman was 13 hours 18 minutes for 13 hours and 18 minutes i worked out holy god yeah. Wow. Did you take- yeah, it was. You get to eat the whole time, though. So I would need a nap in between. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I I need a nap in for te- like in everyday life, <laughs> like let alone working out for thirteen hours. Oh my god. Yeah. 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 But that's that's why uh, that was what I was doing when I didn't enjoy playing music. So <laughs> I wasn't practicing at all. I practice much more now than I than I did probably in the last twenty years. Yeah. <laughs> Well, at least it was a triathlon. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and my lung capacity was great. Like, now that I'm not doing them, it sucks as a bass trombone player. I just joined a gym 
to um to go start swimming. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go back to swimming mm. and see if I can get some stuff happening again. That's really cool. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, um, something we always like to wrap up with is like, mm. what um what sort of parting advice might you have for young musicians that might be listening that might try to uh, pursue a similar New York career as you? Him, Lawson. Yeah, maybe, <laughs> maybe someone like me. <laughs> I would say like all this excitement you have really try and hold on to that and like know the why like why is it there what drives you because for me that lost it for a long time I was so sad when I would see that in other people and just like miss that part of me that was there that loved music and would would have done anything would have sold my soul to be a musician here I was a musician I was unhappy so if you can hold on to that when times are tough, when you're not working, when you're just trying to break into things, when you know maybe something doesn't go well, that is gonna really get you a lot farther than beating yourself up. Like I think as musicians, we learn incorrectly that we've gotta be really mean to ourselves to get better. Like, oh, that sucked, do it again. Instead of, hey, this needs, needs a little work, I need to give that some more love kind of a thing, you know? I try to use language in my lessons that reflect that, even though I don't use it for myself. <laughs> but if you can really hold on to that and, and be careful with the stories you tell yourself about your own playing and yourself as a person, you're constantly listening. So it's like a groove and a record or something. I don't know if you have any LPs at home, but, um, you know, you just keep if you, the negative thoughts will just keep uh, like wearing a deeper and deeper groove. So that's constantly where you go. If you got to start new patterns if you have those negative thoughts. So reframing things like as soon as they start to go negative, like try and reframe it. If if you have if you're talking bad to yourself, like like imagine if you were talking to your best friend, you would never say some of the things that you probably say to yourself to a friend right? As a musician, you'd never say, well, that sucked. You'd say, hey, you might want to consider doing this differently, mm -hmm. you know? And it's so powerful. It's something so small that people don't think of. And especially at, at a younger age, like no one tells you that be kind to yourself. Mental health is a real thing. I know too many musicians that are unhappy. Don't be one of those people. Yeah. Man. Thank you. Well, yeah, that's that's a lot to think about for sure. That's something I've been. I know. I'm sorry. I told you I talked a lot. No, no, that's good. That's a good thing. <laughs> I mean, thank you for for being here and doing this. This was this was great. Yeah. yeah. All right, you guys have a good one. Yeah. If, if I if you need anything else from me or whatever, let me know. Okay. Sounds good. Sounds great. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Bye. Have a great Bye. night. Thanks. You too.